This is the Design Details Podcast with Brian Lovin and Bryn Jackson. Glorious. We will catch up with Ryan in just a minute. If you want to chat with us live, join our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack or follow us on Twitter at Design Details FM. Before we get into the show, we want to thank our sponsors that made this episode possible. This episode is brought to you once again by Dropbox. They make all of this stuff possible by storing all of our files in the cloud and making so we can sync up with our teammates across the country, which is kind of insane. Spec has been pretty cool. They let us handle all, all of our files automatically without us doing anything. We just put them somewhere. They're synced to our producer. They're synced to our other podcasts. We're good to go. We have everything right where we need to be without any effort. And that's pretty neat. They're the best at invisible design. They're really good at doing only what needs to be done and nothing extra. I'm constantly hearing like, what, are, what is Dropbox doing? And the answer is they're doing design right. They're, they're not showing off with it. They do some really incredible illustration work just to explain their products. That's where they spend their time. Otherwise, their products are as simple as they can possibly be. So Mailbox is a good example. It's mostly white space. Dropbox, the tool itself, it lives in your menu bar, lives in your file system. You rarely have to see it other than the folder named Dropbox. Super simple. As designers, as podcasters, as people with computers, we really like Dropbox. So really appreciate them sponsoring the show. And thanks once again to Dropbox. Our second sponsor back again, Icon Finder. Icon Finder is the best way to make your designs stand out. They're the largest source of premium icons on the web. They have over 630,000 icons in their library right now, growing by thousands every month. They're on track for a million by next year. Over 11,000 of those are in icon sets, so you can find perfectly matching icons that will make your entire design feel cohesive and unified. One of the best things about Icon Finder is that you can actually sort and search by keywords, tags, categories, and even styles of icons. So if you need glyph style, outline style, if you want photorealistic icons, if you want 3D icons, you can just search for that style. I want flat skeuomorphism. If you go on iconfinder.com, <laughs> and search for flat skeuomorphism, you might find some icons. Uh, they have a service called Icon Finder Pro. It lets you dig into this massive collection of icons. Uh, it starts at just nine bucks a month per user. Uh, you, these icons are licensed for commercial projects. 70% of that monthly revenue gets paid back out to the original icon designers, which means that when you sign up, you're actually supporting the design community. I, I just wanna say that a ton of flat skeuomorphic icons came up. Oh, so you can search for flat skeuomorphism. They can literally find anything anything. These icons come in all different file formats. They're going to work in any software you're using, whether that's Sketch, Photoshop, Illustrator. They work great on the web. Uh, this is a perfect thing for freelancers. It's perfect for teams. You can get your whole team on a Icon Finder Unlimited plan. Go to IconFinder.com, sign up for Icon Finder Pro, use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS. That'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month of Icon Finder Pro. Thanks so much once again to Icon Finder. And with that, let's get into episode 66 with Ryan Hoover. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan Hoover. I am uh, the founder of Product Hunt, which is a, a website to find really cool stuff. Uh, a lot of technology products, a lot of mobile apps, websites. We expanded to games and books, and we actually are launching something new. Hopefully, you guys like this. It's called Podcasts. So we're expanding to our fourth category. Podcast. Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty good audience for that. Have answer. you heard about this thing called podcasts? Hmm. It's it's really fun. People talk on the radio and then you download it, you listen to it at the gym when you're mm. walking home. Huntception. Something like that. Yeah. So we're launching that and um, I'm super excited. I, I basically we're launching it just because I want it. That's the only reason. Interesting. That's my favorite reason to build products. That's a, yeah, that's a fun reason. Um but why, why do you think podcasts are the next important thing for Product Hunt? Yeah, so both games and books we launched previously. And the reason, one of the reasons why we launched those two categories was in part we saw people in the Product Hunt community posting books and games. And the same is true for podcasts. Your design details was on, on Product Hunt and I mm -hmm. can't remember how many hundreds of upvotes it got. It, it got a good amount. <laughs> yeah, a lot. And, and your podcast is not the only one. There are several podcasts that people seem to love in the Product Hunt community. And furthermore, we, we also believe that there's this kind of hole in the online space right now. There's like a hole of like, where do you go to talk about podcasts? There's communities and, and forums kind of separated online and, and subreddits for serial and so on, but there's no centralized place for, you know, discussion and community around podcasts. 
And so really our hope is how do we build that? How can we create a place where podcast hosts and podcast geeks can talk about their favorite shows? So you guys decided it's essentially like Product Hunt, but you're submitting individual episodes of a podcast. Yeah. And why why that decision instead of like just submitting the whole podcast? Yeah. Because you guys have Podcast Hunt, right? Like that's a a collection you guys made? Yeah, we did. We created that maybe nine months ago, I think. Um, So for a while now, podcasts have been very popular. And the the real key, I think, uh, design decision with this with this category is, it's not just about shows which ha- launch once and then you know they go on forever. Like you're on episode sixty, I don't know something sixty seven, I think mm-hmm. sixty seven. So you've had several episodes. You launched back in January, but there's no reason why you know people don't want to discover more episodes from design details or other shows. And it also gives us an opportunity to create each kind of post its own conversation about that show. Uh, which is something that, you know, I think is lacking. Where do you go to talk about your favorite podcast right now today? Twitter. Twitter. And Twitter is fine. Like people will continue doing that, but it's, it's not, it's, there's no place to have conversation really. It's kind of, it's not unified. It's not unified. If you want to talk to one of the podcast hosts, you can in 140 characters, you two can talk to each other, but there's no artifact of that conversation where other people contribute Mm -hmm. and and join the discussion. What are your favorite podcasts right now? Hmm. So I literally just got uh, back from a podcast with Jason Calacanis, This Week in Startups, which is one of my favorite podcasts I've been listening and watching for, I don't know how many years. And that's also the reason why I'm wearing makeup right now. So for those listening, uh, I look beautiful. You didn't have to admit um, it. No one would have known. <laughs> you look truly glamorous. I know. I know. I look, I'm radiating. Um, <laughs> and so This Week in Startups is, is one of my favorites. I really love what the Gimlet guys and, uh, and gals are doing. Yep. They, they publish Startup as their first podcast series. Uh, Reply All is amazing. Mystery Show, have you listened to that? No, that's the new Gimlet one, though, right? It's fairly new with Starly Kine. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. It's, it's, it's basically a mystery show, but about kind of random mysteries, things that really don't matter, like how tall is Jake Gyllenhaul? Like, no, like it's just weird. <laughs> and so she goes in these quests <laughs> to find answers to these mundane questions. Interesting. Isn't that just called Googling? It's well, you'd think you'd think it'd be that easy. I mean, that, that there's an episode just on Jake Gyllenhaal's height and there's controversy online. You'll find if you start Googling it and she goes as far as to interviewing Jake Gyllenhaal and talking with him. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it goes deep. <laughs> That's like next level famous where people have active controversy about your height i know i know i'm, I'm waiting to get to that day like, that's, <laughs> someday that's you know you've all i want is for people fingers. to fight over my height <laughs> yeah there's like entire websites dedicated to celebrity heights i didn't know that the internet is some combination of the best and the worst like it is the weirdest <laughs> thing it's it's completely bipolar it's not it's never in the middle it's always like one of the two ends yeah yeah hilarious <laughs> it is um but i also love so i love a lot of startup related podcasts but then freakonomics is fantastic that's been going on for several years and it's, it's just random. Like the things you learn and they take these like psycho psychology aspect and economics aspect and pull out interesting tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a number of others that I listen to, but I am looking to explore more. There's a lot of really eclectic, strange podcasts out there and I'm excited to discover more of those. What do you listen on? I listen using overcast actually okay. on my phone. That's a very common answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was using stitcher and I felt that Stitcher's design was clunky and there were too many taps to get what, to what I wanted. It feels like it hasn't really changed much in the past, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. I'd love your perspective on why you think uh, podcasting has blown up again, basically in the last 12 months. It's been around for over a decade, right? We thought we were onto something because like, as soon as we started to do this podcast, all of a sudden like, New York Times had articles and everyone was like, podcasting is a new gold rush, go do it, do it, do it, do it. And we're like, yep, we did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you think that is? That's a good question. I mean, Serial certainly contributed to that. That's one of the more successful podcasts in recent time. And it's it's one that kind of branched to the mainstream. It's mm-hmm. something that everyone started talking about. And it became just like TV shows where people, you know, the next day are talking about it at the water cooler. And so that certainly helped. I think another component is that people now are, they have connected devices that are in their cars. You know, the radio is still actively listened to, but until more recently, it hasn't been something that, people could listen to podcasts in their car as easily. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that's influencing more of a mainstream audience to take, take a adoption here. Now, I mean, it still hasn't, it's not mainstream, mainstream. It still has a long ways to go to yeah, become it's still pretty niche broad. Yeah. Still very niche, but it has a super, super passionate user base. 
um, people who like podcasts love podcasts. And that's why Product Hunt Podcast, you think, will be the next big thing, trademark. Yeah, hopefully. Is someone um, curating that? I know Russ Frustick was doing games. Yeah. who Russ, Russ is one of my favorite game journalists. Like, I yeah. love him so much. He's so fun. When I read his emails that he does uh, for Product Hunt Games, I smile every single time. Because he, he just, he's just a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah, so Al- actually, a, a guy named Alex Carter, who started a podcast app called Nomad. Have you heard of it by Mm-mm. chance? No, I haven't. So he worked on a podcast app that was kind of like a, if you took Overcast but made it more social, he was working on that for a while and he was in Product Hunt in part of the community. Eric started emailing him, uh, Eric on the Product Hunt Eric team. Eric Torenberg. Yeah, Eric Torenberg. And was getting some of his feedback and asking him questions and he came back with these thorough long responses and very like in-depth analysis and and uh, thorough thoughts on podcasting. And, and we got to know him a little bit better. And long story short, he's uh, he joined the team, I think about six weeks ago, and he'll be heading up the podcast side. So, yeah. I'm curious how you've decided to structure Product Hunt in, in such a way that it's so much manual work, so much manual curation, like an intense amount of customer interaction or user interaction on Twitter. Why did you decide to go that route instead of like, basically i love twitter as a, a user interface channel it's the best yeah yeah, yeah. well th- there's a there's a day when we will expand to facebook authentication uh, because realistically not everyone in the world is on twitter and we can't be you know uh we can't limit ourselves to to just the twitter social graph uh, but what i love about twitter is that exactly when when someone signs up i can contact them on twitter directly um yeah so Product Hunt since the very beginning has always been um, really about authenticity and personal touch. Authenticity is actually one of the like cultural words that we as a team kind of define uh, at Product Hunt. That's that's what we strive to be, and making sure that everyone is is feeling like you're, they're talking to a human is important to us. And so we we try to be as responsive as we can on Twitter and through email and on Product Hunt itself. So I feel like as you guys have grown and you just continually get more and more submissions. Um, obviously not everything can make it to the front page and be number one or top five or get into the email or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So you guys have made some design decisions on how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear like the thought process into how that worked. So you have like an upcoming tab and maybe even some more behind the scenes magic working. There's an yeah. upcoming tab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of buried uh, in part because Very buried. it's yeah. like the new feed on Reddit then kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not where most people are supposed to go. Yeah, I mean, some people, the hardcore people go and then they dig out the gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is the majority of people just want what's best, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain level of curation that needs to happen before you get there. So, yeah, for us, it's it's tough because as we grow, we have more and more people that want to post things they find or their own company or product. And we, in the current design, it just won't scale if we have hundreds of products on the homepage. It just won't work. So we're working on a few different ways to kind of I guess, level out that long tail. What I mean by that is uh, we just launched Collections 2.0, which is giving the people people in the community the ability to curate products and things into their own groups of collections, which can then be followed. So what we're seeing is more people are creating eclectic niche kind of categories of things that then create their new their own audiences and they may not get hundreds or thousands of views, but it increases that long tail of discovery for things that may not be number one on Product Hunt. We're also investing in more of the social aspects. So people really care about what people, the people that they follow, their friends, what they're upvoting and what they're doing. And so we're investing more in how do we surface social signals, things and activity from your friends in different ways, which then surface other products that are not number one on product hunt, that kind of thing. How do you guys deal with bad submissions? Like, do you get just things that aren't even products? Yeah. And that's one reason why I have the upcoming tab. We we do get things like presidential candidates <laughs> being posted. <laughs> um, product. Yeah. I mean, you, you could argue, I guess it's a product. Donald Trump could be, I know, a product in some people's eyes. Uh, and we get blog posts and things like that. We get very few um, in general, but what we, we're actually going through a design process, a brainstorm tomorrow to rethink what the posting experience looks like. And how do we enable people to post really anything and kind of let multiple flowers bloom while not killing what's working? So we can't have anything posted on on the homepage. We can't necessarily have 
blog post posted on the tech category uh, because then that kind of ruins what product hunt's about right now. But maybe there's a way we can enable blog posts or really anything or even a GIF, uh, who knows, to be posted into a collection or posted somewhere on the site. So it's actually a really tough challenge um, and I don't have the answer yet, but we're, we're thinking about that tomorrow actually. Well, speaking of design process, you do this very interesting thing that not a lot of people do where you post an Envision mock-up of things you're working on and get public feedback and comments. How is working out in the open been for you guys? Yeah. So this is is something, again, we've done since the beginning in different ways. In the very beginning, Nathan Bashaw, my friend and I, when we started Product Hunt, we emailed the the initial user group, the, the beta testers, who were our friends, actually. Uh, we just emailed them mock-ups and said, hey, here's what we're working on. What do you think? Give us some feedback. Feedback, And that was extremely valuable, not just because it gave us good feedback on you know how they liked it and other ideas they had, but they also felt more invested in it. They, they gave us their ideas and we changed the design based on their feedback. And we've continued to do that as we've grown. So more recently, we're going through an entire big, kind of scary redesign of Product Hunt. And right now, when you go to Product Hunt, you see the tech category, which doesn't represent games, uh, doesn't show books, it won't show podcasts, and it doesn't include a lot of social signals and other things that we want to blend in. So our goal is to create a, a website that, a homepage really, where you can go there and see all these different things, whether you're into books or games, you can see what your friends are upvoting, and all these different kinds of, of things that you might love. And so we shared this in Envision about three weeks ago. We Envision, for those that don't know, is a, a, a thing that you can share a mock-up and you can have people comment on it and share their ideas. And so we, we shared this uh, four weeks ago and we had something like 400 people comment on it in the first day. And people gave their feedback saying, hey, we like this. Oh, what about this? And it gave us a lot of really good feedback. And it also gave us some, some it kind of de-risks what we're about to do is really change the experience in some ways by giving people a preview rather than, you know, moving their furniture in their home <laughs> when they're not around. Going the whole way without even checking on it would be kind of, I mean, that's something we run into all the time is people who just design their entire product and then the feedback is like, eh, maybe yeah. not. Like we've, we've had bad products on Product Hunt and basically the answer was, hey, you didn't actually talk to the people who were going to use it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's there was also, there's a, a thing that a lot of companies do is they're like, okay, let's keep this quiet. Let's not tell anybody and then this launch it and surprise everyone and do a really big press push. And that's a valid strategy sometimes. But for us, the risk is that we we go against the, what the community wants and we mm-hmm. build something they don't want. And that's much more damaging than like a slightly bigger press push, really. Because Product Hunt, maybe this isn't the way you see it, but it feels to me like the sum of the community. Like yeah. the people that comment on it, the people that are sharing it on Twitter. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. It's it's We've seen a lot of product hunt for X, so product hunt from, like, name it, anything. And <laughs> How do you feel about those? Um, I'm totally fine with them. They're, they're totally fine. Um, you know, everyone is inspired and, and rips off everyone else to an extent. Everything's and remix. Everything's remix. I like that. That's a great saying. Um, Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright brand. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yeah, it, most of them haven't worked out because what they've done is built a product, but they haven't built a community. Why does product hunt have such a good community? How did that all start? Yeah. So it started, the Product Hunt community started really years before Product Hunt existed. And so this sounds maybe cheesy. I don't know. Maybe I'm setting it up weird. Um, but You're the, writing a screenplay. This is a movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I've been in San Francisco for about five years now. And when I moved here, maybe a few years after I moved here, I started meeting a lot more people and writing and blogging. And, and I did this thing called Startup Edition, which is a really small email list with uh, Brian, you were on it writing blog posts and, and other people. It basically built a small audience for myself and allowed me to connect with a lot of other people who eventually became sort of the kernel of the Product Hunt community. And so when I reached out, when I had this idea for Product Hunt, which was just an email list, I reached out to 20, 30 entrepreneurs, founders, investors, uh, a lot of them fairly high profile, and said, hey, I'm working on this thing, check it out. Um, I would love for you to just post products that you find. And and the only reason why they listen, why they even give it a try is because they knew me and I wasn't just some rando. So uh, that was super important. And that built that that base that allowed production to eventually grow into what it is. 
But at this point, you have celebrities commenting. You have some of the most high-profile investors commenting. Nas did a thing? Yeah. Like, how, how is that Deep all dog? just natural, just natural growth? Or are you doing anything special to get Snoop Dogg to, to comment and reply to people? Yeah. I mean, it starts with that small kernel I mentioned, but yeah. you build... I mean, we, we have investors like Andreessen Horowitz and Google Ventures and Greylock. And then it's sort of a snowball effect too, as you have more and more influential people uh, doing product hunt live chats and things like that. They want to be a part of something cool as well. And so Snoop Dogg and Ashton Kutcher and more high profile celebrities, they've engaged and used product hunt in part because they see all these other people in technology and they see it as a kind of a hub for startups and, and kind of influence in the technology world. And so... You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it, it happens over time as you start building a strong base and a hopefully a positive community. Do you feel like you're reaching the edges of the tech community? And like what, how do you keep expanding this community to get, encompass anyone in the world that's interested in these things, not just people specifically interested in technology? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we've certainly made a name for ourselves in technology, but we have a long ways to go, of course, to reach other people and maybe a mainstream audience. We see a lot of people outside of the tech world, though, using it, and it's encouraging to see more of that grow. But for us, it's it's a lot about finding other pockets and communities of people, and that's one reason why we're expanding into different categories that are sort of tangential to tech. So games is, is very tangential, but it's actually its own community, separate thing. Podcasts is very, very similar to technology, has a lot of overlap, but it's also a whole new audience and community. And so by sort of leveraging what we built now in technology, we can attract also new audiences that are connected to those people. And so that's part of our strategy and growth. How do you feel about people creating products and hunting them that are basically about gaming product hunt? Like I've seen some like books or whatever. They're like how to win on product hunt kind of thing. Like Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty awesome when you, you see someone kickstart a book um, or write a book <laughs> based on product hunt. That's crazy. I mean, that's, it, is, it is amazing that this is happening. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we have, uh, you know, rules and, and FAQs and stuff and like how not to game or how you shouldn't game it. Like ultimately what we, what we're trying to do is build a, a product and a platform where the best stuff as deemed by the community can rise to the top. And it kind of sucks when people try to, to game it and ruin it. Um, inevitably it happens and, and we have ways to kind of curb that technically and, and manually, but, um, it's inevitable. What's the most creative thing you've seen someone do to get to the oh, top? Oh man. So Multiple times now I've seen people pay for promoted tweets linking to their product hunt post on launch day saying upvote us on product hunt. And that's not allowed. That's not allowed. And it's, um, it's also just crazy. They're, they're paying, they're doing user acquisition for us, but I don't think it's working. I don't think a paid tweet for, for some random person is going to get someone to sign up to a website and upvote. I don't think it's worth their time. It could be though. Maybe. If Who it, knows? Well, product hunt in many ways has launched several apps right mm -hmm. like it provides that initial surge that gets a product off its feet it happened with us and the podcast mm -hmm. got us up our feet. all of our podcasts yeah all of our developer T's done really well immutable did really well mm -hmm. do you feel any sort of pressure knowing that you can essentially like make or break a product's first day i mean product hunt as a community and as a, a platform can can certainly have an influence on launch but as, as we all know at this table, launch is just a small part of the Long entire term thing. Long-term is a different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's there's certainly a, a shark fin when it comes to, to the users you'll get to your site. And hopefully you build something meaningful enough and something that people want that gets mm -hmm. them to come back. That's that's the hardest part, really. I would say product hunt itself plays a role in people's success, but it's not ever the the binary like if you're if you aren't successful in product then that does not mean your your company your product is never gonna work out right. or vice versa if right. you get pro if you get successful in product hunt you are basically in the know on kind of the ebb and flow of of products that are coming out right would you say you have a pretty high level understanding of the trends happening in products right now it's I've, I've been looking forward to this question since you told <laughs> me about it because i just don't get it don't get which piece the uh, asking someone for the overarching view on the market. Yeah. It's hard to know what you, what you do see. Like if, if product hunt didn't exist, I don't know what I would see compared to now, if that makes sense. So I, I certainly see a lot of trends and things 
happen just because I spend a lot of my time on product hunt. And well, that's what I'm curious products. about. Yeah. Yeah. What are the trends that you see? What what are people doing differently now than they were doing a year ago when it comes to building products? Like, are they smaller and more niche? Or is what's the launch strategy? More shower heads. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that shower head that YC company that did well. People like that. So weird. There was there's a lot of weird stuff. Nebbia I mean, or whatever it's called, right? Yeah, Nebbia. Nebbia. Yeah. Um, today there was a uh, this razor that uses lasers to shave, which is kind of rad. Sounds. Um, dangerous but not okay. not sponsored by star wars but could be <laughs> in the future some good rhyming All yeah right. yeah i mean there's there's various trends i think slack is is the one of the more obvious ones right now i, I think i see a some sort of slack app or integration every other day anything from something to to play poker with your teammates in slack to uh you know an on-demand ice cream delivery through slack mm-hmm. that kind of thing and and then also seeing a lot of you mentioned niche or smaller apps i'm seeing a lot of Invisible apps or, or apps that are using SMS or email as an inter- interface, which is interesting, like Magic being one of the more prominent ones from maybe seven or eight months ago, and to a number of others, some integrated with Slack, some through email, like Clara, uh, which is you know a personal assistant that helps schedule your meetings and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like more and more people are, are building smaller things just to get market validation, but that might just be a skew because this is very much like an early adopter tech community you know, posting very early stuff. Product is about new stuff primarily right now. Mm-hmm. I remember about a year ago, or maybe it was, it was within the last year, there was some rising criticism of people launching quote unquote dumb apps, uh, things like Yo. Um, and you wrote a really great piece kind of responding to that criticism. Do you remember that blog post and what you said? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of criticism about people building silly things, whether it's Yo or uh, a friend of mine, Abe, he he like intentionally, they're like, hey, let's let's build the stupidest app we can think of. And they built this app called Turndown for What? You open it, you press it, and it mm-hmm. it, it plays Lil John's Turndown for What? Um, it's actually pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> my so, favorite app. My favorite app. So there's a lot of stupid stuff. In, and I put those in quotes because a lot of people are just building these things because they want to just have fun. They're, they're not building it to build a company per se. Uh, some other people are just building to learn. And a lot of others are kind of judging them as, oh, why are you building something silly? And I, I've kind of equated this to like, why is someone, you know, playing the drums or learning the guitar? And maybe they're not very good, but they're learning and they're playing and experimenting. And today's generation in many ways is like someone building apps is the same person who's learning to be like a rock star. And they're not very good now, but you know, if they continue working on it, maybe they will in five, 10 years. Awesome. I love that metaphor. I always think it's interesting though, when like as someone who works at a startup and has a lot of friends who work at startup, when people who they'll try and create like full on companies for the sake of creating a startup, they mm-hmm. just want to start a startup. I've seen a few of them pop up on product hunt. How do you, how do you approach that? Do you give them advice? Do you like push on them like i see you in the comments and everything like hmm, i wonder how you're monetizing this (laughs) yeah 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 there's a difference between building a product and building a company and that could be interpreted in many different ways like i've i've learned at product hunt like my my role in uh, everything has changed significantly as as we've gone from side project to company um and then yeah there's some people who they just like rock stars they're like i want to be a rock star and today there's some people who like i want to be a ceo I'm going to whiteboard myself into a company and and sometimes it works out, but a lot of times I think people force themselves into a startup and they force themselves into, I must find something, I must build something when it's really hard to manufacture that. I mean, you can, you can try, you can do research and you can dive into an industry and find pain points and that's certainly valid, but a lot of people don't do the hard work and they just say, I'm going to start something and raise money because it's cool. Speaking of hard work, I'm curious about your day to day and like what that looks like at Product Hunt. Yeah, so I wake up around 5:30 usually, 5:30 a.m. and turn over, look at my phone. I quickly scan through like text messages, like number one priority, and then d- like Twitter DMs, and then like a couple other things like email. And then I shower. That's I go like f- the opposite order of most people, right? Yeah. Like check email and then like all right. Oh, I'm Twitter. I only check Twitter in the morning. Really. Hmm. No, no text message. No, like, sorry, care. mom. Uh, Nobody texts Brent anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, there's one step before shower. What I do is I open up Overcast and I turn on a podcast every morning. 
and I just play it and I, I like put it next to the shower uh-huh. and then when I'm getting dressed and everything, I'm just like playing some podcast. Uh, so that's been part of my routine. And then I go to, to Phil's work there for like an hour and a half, two hours. Still Phil's still go there. Yeah. You've been doing the Phil's morning routine for what? Uh, it's years been like two now. years. Yeah. Ever since. Yeah. I mean, that's where product Hunt started. Right. Uh, and that's almost been two years. Why do you still stick with that routine? What does that do for you? It's I'm pretty habitual, so I eat the same things usually. I I just that's my personality. Do you do you do Soylent? No, no. I'd rather eat like a lot of food than 400 calories of Soylent. It's not bad, but I just rather eat more food. So yeah, I, I just like fills. It's a good routine. It breaks up the day. Then I go to the office afterwards. So for you specifically, you interface with thousands of people on Twitter, right? Literally thousands. How do you keep up with it all? How do you keep track of people and understand? I mean, I don't know if you like looked this up, but you have a great memory of, of the things we're working on and, and on and on. How do you keep tra- keep up with all that? I actually don't feel like I have a good memory when it comes to faces and names. I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what the deal is, but or maybe I'm just interacting with so many people, I just can't keep it all in my head. But when I go to events, sometimes I'll, I'll meet people who... You know, I've even met like months ago or, or someone I've interacted with on Twitter and I, I just can't remember the name. So it's actually like, I need to go, I need to figure that out. Um, so I don't feel like I have a great memory, but what I do do is try to, to be personal and answer everyone on, on Twitter that responds and I enjoy it too. It's really fun. Twitter is probably the best way to scale building relationships. Not that I'm like Absolutely. building like a full on relationship with everyone, mm-hmm. but at least I'm connecting with all these people every single day, hundreds. Well, I think that's worth talking more about because even the way Product Hunt tweets to its users, like I'm sure it's a script, like when you hit 100 upvotes or something, you get a GIF sent to you if you're a maker. Mm -hmm. Um, All these little touches. uh, I love the emoji notifications. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Someone followed you, kiss emoji. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, why were those decisions made? Yeah. I can't remember exactly where the the auto tweeting gifts idea came from exactly, but what we do know is we everyone is uh, that signed in into Product Hunt is using Twitter. So Twitter is actually this interesting communication channel that a lot a lot of other companies or products use, and we've talked more about like how do we use more of that? How do we use Twitter as a notification system? Maybe we shouldn't email you. Maybe we should tweet at you when someone replies to your comment. Stuff like that. So. Product Hunt, one of the the words that we kind of try to to portray and try to communicate is kittenish, um, which like means playful. And we want, you know, to be playful and going to Product Hunt should be fun to an extent. And so by sh- like sending someone like a, a gif of Shaq wiggling his, his arms, like congratulating people on 100 upvotes, like that's kind of fun. That is a great gif. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that we're all saying gif as it is supposed to be. <laughs> yes, it's gif. As Jod intended. <laughs> That's, That's terrible. I haven't heard that. <laughs> uh, so we we do have lots of people in that listen to the show that are, are working on side projects, um, building their own apps, exploring. I was wondering two things. Do you have advice to new makers to actually build something successful? Like you have seen this huge range of products submitted that some are very successful, some aren't. Do you have advice that can help people be better about what they're building? <laughs> what should people build? So let me... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> let me see. What do I want? And that's what people should build. No. Well, I mean, that's Phil's. actually... Phil's. Uh, drone delivery from Phil's. <laughs> On-demand oh. phone Phil's delivery through Slack and drones. Nailed it. Um, that's like... Wait a second. <laughs> Postpone this. Yes. Be right back. Um, I mean... There is the cliche advice, build something for yourself, which I think is generally, if you're wanting to work on something for several years and build a company, you you really need to ask yourself, do you want to do this for a decade? Like ask yourself that. And, and if you say, oh, probably not, if I'm not really that passionate or interested in this, then, you know, maybe you should reevaluate what you're doing. And you have to be hard and honest with that one. And you, you won't really know ultimately, but after several months, you'll, you should be pretty confident in, in your answer. Um. Now that's if you're like building a company, you know, if you're building a side project or something like, you know, optimize for learning, optimize for fun, um, build something that, you know, you think people want and, 
Um, you can do customer development, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's important depending on your goals because like not everyone is you, but for me, it was just really, I wanted to build this thing. It didn't take long to set it up. I didn't invest weeks or even days <laughs> building the first version of product hunt. Uh, the email list was, was something very quick and it was just enough to validate that other people might want this thing. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people that submit products to product on making? One of the biggest is they don't know how to communicate what it is. They, we intentionally limited to a 60 character tagline. And in part that was because we wanted product hunt to be scannable so you could quickly see what was of interest to you. Uh, but we also wanted to force makers and people making things to really succinctly communicate what their product does. It's like an elevator pitch on steroids. Yes. <laughs> 60 characters. That's so funny you use a metaphor because I, one of my pet peeves is like people say it's like hip chat on steroids or whatever. It's like <laughs> Gmail on steroids or something on steroids. And It's I, like Uber for ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the X for Y actually works. Like it actually works a lot of the time, but a lot of times it doesn't. But yeah, a lot of people just don't know how to communicate what it does. And one of the reasons for that is they are too involved. They know too much about it. And they don't like stick their head up out of the forest and say, okay, what would someone who's never heard of this thing in the world, what would they think when I tell them these words? Uh, someone today had a tagline of something like, something like work anywhere, like best way to work anywhere or something. And it didn't say, it didn't mean anything. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. What does it mean? Um, so sometimes you just got to ask yourself that. And I would recommend just asking people who don't know what your product is. Like, what is this? mean to you when like you use it for one. a bit check out the homepage, stuff like that yeah and just talk like a human like avoid cliches generally is my advice and um don't talk like a like a press release <laughs> right do you feel like people that try and make it a press release end up failing I, people read through especially the product hunt community they read through they they know who's authentic and who's not mm -hmm. and they read through the bullshit when you're clearly like copying and pasting something like a PR company told you, you're sort of like put off, you know, it product hunt is really all about connecting with individuals and people. And that's why we don't allow brands or company accounts to comment. It has to be people. Oh, I didn't even know you couldn't comment with a brand. I was asked, uh, when we launched sidewire on product hunt, like, should we give them copy or should we like give someone copy to do it? Yeah. And I was like, no, no. we absolutely <laughs> should not. If you really want to ask someone to do it, ask someone who actually knows how to use product hunt and that's it. Like that's mm -hmm. all you should do. Which was me. <laughs> I submitted it. Good job. And Brian. wrote a very genuine first comment, which kicked off a very genuine discussion. And that's the other thing. When you when it comes off, when the first comment is from the maker and they're like, We built this thing, something, something on steroids, like no one really wants to talk to that person. Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't come off as authentic. <laughs> we and built something, something on steroids. <laughs> yeah someone tomorrow or after this airs is going to like post something like that in the comments. Uh, <laughs> if you do, I will upvote that just cause you listened. <laughs> Good job. Good job. So, okay. Those are the communication is a mistake. You see makers making, what are some of the mistakes that you find yourself making or have made while building product hunt? Mm. Is this like a, this is probably the hardest question. Cause oh, okay. I, mean, I don't know if I ever make mistakes. Is no. there, is there a pattern you've noticed? Um, well, you never really know if it's going to work, whether it's a product feature or a marketing campaign or anything until you just do it. Mm -hmm. And so what I will say is games and books, we launched that in like intentionally, we built those and launched those products as those categories as like a reflection of what tech is. And we, we knew going into it that, you know, we're taking some risks, assuming that what people love in books will apply, like this model will apply, this daily feed of new books and games will work. And we realize that it doesn't work 100%. We realize that uh, a place to discover new books and a place to discover new games needs to look a little bit different. And each category needs to kind of have this native um, presentation and experience that's representative of what book lovers want and what game lovers want. So we're working through some of the product changes now. Like games, for example, is very much a visual medium. And increasingly so, video is a large part of game discovery and, and just Twitch is a great example of that alone. So we're working on a redesign that includes a lot of really big, bold videos and maybe some live gaming and things like that. So that when you go to games, you're immediately impressed and you as a game lover can find what you want. Why did you decide to keep all of that like within essentially a page on ProductHunt.com as opposed to making its own domain, like building a separate community there for game lovers. 
Yeah. We thought a lot about this and you could imagine multiple domains, kind of what Stack Overflow has done. Mm-hmm. And they have, I don't know how many different uh, .coms and communities now. What we realized is that we could do that, but realistically scaling that out and transferring the first community onto multiple different sites would be more challenging rather than interconnecting them all together. But now you have a new challenge, right? Yeah. Like creating the native experience on each right. page within the same domain. Right, right. It still exactly. feels like the same thing, though, more or less. Like, more or less. I'm not confused when I switch between games and books. and tech. Right. And that's the design challenge is we want them to be, we want them to feel consistent, yet each community needs to feel uh, like it, like it's a, really a, a place to discover games and place to discover books. So that's where we're going through some changes where how do we make them customizable for that category and that medium while still not being totally different from the overall product and experience. The other reason why we kept it all together is because like you, you don't just love technology, but you also love podcasts and maybe you love sports. I'm, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, maybe no, not sports. I don't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> What's one other category of things that you love? Design. <laughs> Design. Can that be a that could that could tech, work kind of that could okay um so let's just say we have like a design community and a tech community and a podcast community ideally i think my assumption is that people would want to go to a single place where they could find all of those things together so you could discover some awesome new podcasts and some awesome new design stuff and a new mobile app that now is on your home screen so i believe that all can can fit together but i haven't frankly i haven't seen anyone execute really well on that, like bringing all these different communities and types of products into a really good UX and experience. So we have a big challenge ahead. So you mentioned you have two designers on the team. Mm-hmm. Could you want to shout them out? We can link yeah. to them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So Sean and Steph have both worked with us for almost, almost a year oh, now. They're on your team. No, their firm is called TM, Yep. Um, but they've been working with us um, almost full time. Yeah. Sean Modi and Steph Bain. Yeah. Yeah. Last names. Good call. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, both of them were at Airbnb really early on. Uh, Sean was at Google before that. Sean did like NASA stuff. Like that's insane. He has this epic tattoo now too. If you if you see him next, like look at his left forearm or not forearm, but uh, inside of his arm, it's a uh, I forget exactly what it is, but it's this this rocket. It's like a sketch of an architect of a rocket. It's it's epic. Crazy. Yeah. So they're fantastic and they're great to work with. How are design decisions made? Uh, in terms of like qualitative and quantitative reasoning behind the decisions? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting process. So the way we've approached it is we give them a lot of freedom to explore. And I've learned this early on in product management, which was my previous role, is I made a mistake early on in very much defining the experience and providing wireframes. And when you're working with really talented designers who know product, the best thing is to you know give, guide them and give them the information they need the data that they need based on like historical data or whatnot, and then give them the, the freedom to explore. And so our process is really fairly fluid. It's, it's kind of on a weekly cadence where we'll, let's say the front page, for example, that was actually like a two week kind of exploration, but we did uh, a whiteboard session and talked about, okay, here are the things, here are the goals, here's why we want to change the front page. And here are some ideas. We collaborated, bounced things back and forth. And then Sean and Steph like worked on some sketches, some some wireframes, and some visuals, and and then presented them, and and we provided feedback, and then iterated on that. What's the measure of success going to be for the front page project? Or yeah, it, like what's the most important metric for you? Is it upvotes? Is it submissions? Is it comments? It's actually a number of things. Where we've actually gone, we've changed this slightly as of recently. It used to be outbound clicks, so clicks to products. Oh. And that was a measurement of discovery because our ultimate goal is to allow people to discover new products. And I believe that was the right metric at that time. But since then, we've actually added a lot more content and meat to Product Hunt. In the beginning, it was literally just a list of things. It no, no longer images. links out by default. It, yes. And that's one design change, um, big design change. Huge. Yeah. So before it was like a, a list and you click on a title and you would open up a new tab to the product. And so a lot of people were never even discovering that there was this whole discussion or comments. And then we we changed that so it opens up this this product page, which has images, videos, has comments, has similar products. It has uh, this product is in this collection, all this other content and things. And now it's it gives you enough information to understand the product. And so we've kind of adjusted what we're trying to optimize for. It's less about outbound clicks, which is important. 
but it's also more about how do we enable more people to discover products also on Product Hunt. So seeing more products and understanding them, you might click through, you might not. And, and there's actually value. And if you never download an app or a site or whatever it may be, you never use it, it doesn't mean you didn't get any value out of it. I get a lot of value by knowing that something exists. And a lot of people use Product Hunt as almost like a newsfeed of like, what's what are people creating? That's how I use it. Yeah. And I imagine even with that, that design change to not immediately link outbound, I imagine outbound link clicks went down, but the mm-hmm. quality of those clicks went up. Exactly. Yeah, there's a, a pretty, not steep, but a pretty significant drop because instead we weren't just throwing people off the site. They were clicking through, possibly reading and seeing videos and images and then clicking out. And the, the hypothesis is that those those clicks are converting much higher because they they took the effort to go that extra step they knew more about the thing beforehand exactly yeah yeah i dig it i i love when people like take the time to explain something before passing them off because otherwise it's just it's a lot less valuable for sure uh with product hunt the community in a way like manages itself and and helps you grow and does all these submissions but you recently started doing live chats which seem like a lot of work goes into those uh why'd you decide to do those as like an extension yeah this is something we talked about months and months ago uh we were talking about do we do something like reddit ama on product hunt and i at first was very hesitant because it's not directly about products it's not about discovering new products per se and i didn't want it to defocus us but increasingly so we had more and more people asking for something like this in the community we also saw stuff like this happen. Like when Snoop Dogg launched Bush on Product Hunt and, and was answering questions, that was super fun. It was like super fun to have him in there and, and having that discussion. And thinking more about it, we realized, okay, Product Hunt isn't just about discovering products. Like that's kind of the core, but it's also about connecting with these awesome people, uh, whether a teenager that made a cool app or Snoop Dogg or Ashton Kutcher or whoever. So yeah, we, we built Product Hunt Live and now we have three to four guests through like December, uh, amazing guests. And anyone from a book author to, um, you know, celebrity entertainment to- I think Brendan Mulligan was just on? Yeah, he was on Friday last yeah. week. Yeah, so our goal is to to create a place where people can talk directly with these people and also kind of help us expand to other categories too. As we bring in people in books, we can kind of attract and bring in that audience that hopefully sticks around to play with the books category and things like that. Some of the people you've had on as well are, are investors and you guys did raise money. Mm-hmm. How has Product Hunt sort of changed or shifted direction since you raised $6 million? Right? Uh, our Series A was 6.1. The seed was 1 million. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's changed that we've now been able to hire and, and build a team out of now 25 people. And, you know, we couldn't expand and, and it actually takes takes a lot more work than than I would have expected, frankly. Like if you asked me 12 <laughs> months ago that we would have this many people working at Product Hunt, I would probably say, oh, no way, we don't need that many people. But it's actually amazing how many people it takes to build something good. And this isn't just Product Hunt, but if you look at like any Facebook, like Facebook has so many people and granted it's a massive company, but it's sometimes people look at Facebook like, how are there that many people working there? Well, it's like, there's a lot of stuff to do. Taking money and the reason why we, we raised is so that we could build a team. Uh, that's really the, the only reason. It's, it's allowed us to do a lot more and, and build out a team of people that can hopefully ex- help us expand to other categories and other things. Right. Uh, do you feel any sort of pressure now that you've raised money to go in certain directions or how, how does the, I guess, guidance and advice come come from having that relationship? Yeah. Well, so when you raise money, you're on a clock and that clock means you have to move fast and it's a little bit different if you're self-funded. If you're self-funded, you, you only have a clock that you... you like however fast you want to go per se, uh, depends on your goals. So when you raise money, it's a little bit different. You, you need to move fast. And that's something that really anyone who wants to build something meaningful should, should have anyway, like regardless of uh, raising money, like you should want to grow fast and, and make a difference and impact many people. So I guess that's just the obvious thing. <laughs> it's like there, there are growth goals and, and things like that, right. that we have to, to, it, we, we have an obligation to execute on. I imagine there's also a piece of having access to mentors and people that have done this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Sean, I met him through Andreessen Horitz. Eric there, he introduced us and they've been super helpful with recruiting to 
making introductions and things like that for BD purposes. And, and then also when you have a lot of amazing investors, uh, you know, invested financially, they also help in just small little ways since they're so connected in the tech world, they can make introductions and they'll do live chats and that kind of thing. So now you have advice coming from investors and then you're doing this designing in public kind of thing, getting advice from the community. Do those ever conflict? And if so, how do you make decisions around, around those kind of things? So Steven Snofsky's on, on the board and, uh, he's, he's fantastic. I, I love working with him because one, he, he has experience in areas that I have very little, like this whole CEO thing's new to me. This first company I've started and I've actually never technically managed or led someone, um, directly before this working in product management, you lead indirectly. Uh-huh. So it's a little bit different. Um, you know, this Brian, and so he's fantastic because he was at Microsoft for several years and, and grew, um, you know, an amazing team, large team. He also then realizes and knows, like, he gives me feedback and ideas and things, but he also isn't ever pressuring me to make specific decisions around, let's say, a product feature. Like, the best investors will provide advice, but they won't push. And I've also realized, and and thank God I don't have any of investors like that. I, I've heard of horror stories where people have someone on their cap table who's hounding them to do things when, you know, it should be the the team themselves and the founder and so on that, that make those decisions. So how long did it take you to ramp up to learn sort of the language of startups like cap table and understanding all this? I imagine you didn't just have that. You had to learn it at some <laughs> yeah. point. He didn't go to Baylor for entrepreneurship, Brian. <laughs> I suppose not. I did Brian. not. <laughs> so why Combinator was super helpful mm-hmm. and they they guide you in many different ways. Part of it is fundraising and understanding all of that. I would say I would probably recommend my former self to read like there are probably many books on this, like Brad Feld's um I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But there are many blog posts and books on mm-hmm. fundraising and what all this means because it is pretty complicated. The other advice I would give though is get a great lawyer. Lawyers are super valuable <laughs> and worth the money. Um Josh Cook is is our lawyer and he helped out like before we had any money. He was working pro bono uh, just for free, and he's just a great guy. So, and now you feel pretty well versed in speaking the language. It sounds like enough, but but I also know I know enough to defer a lot of questions to him. <laughs> you know what you don't know <laughs> exactly. There's a lot. There's a lot of ways you can get screwed over too. Um, you have to have someone interpret law when you get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people end up wasting their time because they try and do everything internally as cheaply as possible when really. If you open up that extra amount of time that you don't have by like asking someone else to do it, like we just hired an accounting service and that, mm. God, I'm so bad at tax code. Like that's not something I want to waste my <laughs> oh, time on. Oh I could no. be building products, right? So I still have to do my taxes, guys. I deferred and I think it's coming up. Uh, it's like almost October. October 15th, right? Something Ooh. like that. Yeah. Get on it. <laughs> Dude, yeah. <laughs> we know gotta... a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. Uh, I swear. Wait, you're going to do it yourself? Yeah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and wait point. Wasn't, what, this is the opposite of your advice ryan yeah this, <laughs> this is my advice well okay <laughs> i could go on a tangent the quick version is it's complicated my Correct. my taxes are complicated because i was a contracting at one point then we did product hunt which i still have to deal with my expenses like my personal credit card was paying mm-hmm. roku for several months um anyway it's kind of a mess but i'll figure it out and hopefully i don't get audited <laughs> we'll find out soon enough <laughs> yeah he'll, he'll hunt it we were talking off mike a little bit about just kind of what you're seeing in the tech landscape uh what's changing right now for you i was in la this past weekend and i've been visiting there a little bit more often and getting to know the entertainment space and people that work there a little bit more um and it's interesting because it's very different but there are a lot of similarities what i am noticing is there's so much blending of industries uh, maybe it's just me noticing this because i'm in this space right now but it seems like entertainment is doing more in tech and you know other industries that are traditionally not technical or, or working in tech products are, are leveraging technology in other ways and just like take Ita as one example have you have you been to Ita yet Ita Ita yeah it's it's this what? new restaurant in san francisco no it's i've not been there and like Isa ramen Itza, like eat, S-A, Itza. Oh, no, no. So it's uh, quinoa for like six or seven bucks a meal. And 
That's a lot to spend on quinoa because quinoa is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. Uh, but that's pretty cheap for San Francisco for lunch. And the reason why it's cheap is because they don't have like people making it. It's like robot made. And what? so Wait, yeah. really? Now I want to go there. Yeah. Even I mean, robot, robot is kind of a, I think a marketing term, but it's just fun to say. Um, but in short, it's like not, people aren't making it with their hands. Like it doesn't require that manual labor. And like that's the, the restaurant industry, like it hasn't changed significantly. Um, all that much considering how fast technology has cha- been changing. So to see them use technology in other ways, it's just interesting. So I guess long story short, I'm seeing tech move in all these different spaces. And that's why we're also seeing a lot of people in entertainment getting into technology, building apps and things like that. And I just find that fascinating to see how tech is becoming pervasive across everything. And I think that will only increase over the next decade. I, I can't imagine it not. I feel like I keep seeing people approaching like really old problems lately specifically old problems for example razors like now they're putting lasers yeah. on it because future yeah. right yeah or uh i work for a company that does news now or like shopping and it's just like literally coupons like they're like we're trying to solve coupons without you using paper like mm-hmm. that's a whole different thing i i don't know it seems really weird to me they're not trying to find like new stuff they're just like eh, you guys did this thing once upon a time you want to want that back how's that Somebody, I can't remember who said this, but somebody said you can always make a rounder wheel and it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but the truth is that's a know, bad tire. Yeah, it's a bad tire. <laughs> like things can always be better. Like look at, let's go back to Facebook. Remember when Facebook was early on, it was like, okay, you can go to people's profiles and you can like look at their stuff. Like how could it be any better? And you know, it's changed so much. Gotten worse every step. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love Facebook. Um, Me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, that, did you hear a, that, coworkers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it'll be Twitter one day, and then it'll be good. Yeah, I mean, so that's a bad example. But there's, there's <laughs> <laughs> let's take, anyways, <laughs> let's take okay, better example, Uber. So what what did you do before Uber? You were trying to hail taxis, and you were like out in the rain. No, nope. wait. I just stayed inside. I just never stayed left. Inside. So you didn't even talk to I just people. Rode a motorcycle. Nope. I didn't have friends. I wasn't happy. That's accurate. Uber saved my life. See? Nothing has changed. <laughs> See? It's so Sorry. much better now. And the Uber is not... Like, Uber could always make a rounder wheel, I think. Um, you know, Uber robot eventually... Cars. Robot cars, robot drones, teleportation, Hyperloop. Like, it's, it will always get better. Going back to the, the tech in entertainment, that one's particularly interesting to me because celebrities are making apps Um do you feel like that's a genuine thing or are they doing a genuine thing? I mean, they're genuinely winning. <laughs> yeah. Or Kylie is, Jenner is was it, on the top of the app store. What is that? Right. Is this just taking advantage of the situation? I, I guess they're hashtag business. They're winning. <laughs> yeah. I guess they're business minded, but it feels a little bit sleazy to, uh, I don't know, build stuff that you can abuse your celebrity power for. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a celebrity clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd say they're taking advantage. They're definitely have a competitive advantage in some respect and and also just because a celebrity launches something doesn't mean it's going to actually do well but what i think it is is it's a reflection of how technology is culture and you know celebrity in the past they'd make a song or create a video on youtube or something and just like that they're now creating an app like it's it's actually now easier to create an app than it was five ten years ago and so the effort and the influence of an app or a game let's say is the same as you know another piece of content or entertainment that they would have made before. Do you see this curve of people making stuff getting easier and easier? Like, where does this end, and where does it get to the point where normal consumers like us just can't keep up? It's only like the technical part that's getting easier, really, right? Like the thinking part's not any easier. Yeah, you got to find something that's actually a problem, and that takes a lot of like brain work. Well said. A lot of brain work. But at the same work. time, now it's really accessible to build things that didn't require a lot of brain work. Bad but things. we don't want people creating things without brain work. But it's happening. That's the worst. <laughs> Surprise. Well, this is there's a website called Product Hunt that's hopefully going to help with this. I mean, nice plug. So, <laughs> yes. Our hypothesis really and in, in belief is that... More brain work. More. There'll be... <laughs> hopefully there'll be more brain work. Um, but there'll be, more, there'll be more things created. And we'll see that happen more and more in technology. And as... The barrier to entry lowers, more things will be created. As a result, there is greater need for curation and, and like to call out the stuff that's not interesting or useful. So before we go, I have to ask, what's your all-time favorite product on Product Hunt? 
That's such a hard question. Maybe product hunt when we posted it on day one. I was going to ask, <laughs> did you did you hunt the hunt? We did. <laughs> you would. <laughs> yeah. You can go back. It's still there. It's uh and I think our tagline was for product people or something. It was a really bad tagline. It's Poetic. basically yeah. <laughs> it's like product hunt is for product people. Like, what does that even mean? It could use more brain work. Yeah. I think a week or two <laughs> after that we're like, this is terrible. What's it's, the tagline now? Uh best new products every day. God. Which is so simple. Okay, yeah, but I like that. what I do like about it is, and this is related to design, is the everyday aspect is really, really emphasizing the fact that this is new every day. It's it's timely. It's it's something you want to come back to every day because you're going to miss, you know, something new. So that piece of it, I think, is important. Um, as we expand to other categories, we may have to to reexamine that. But it kind of works with like the best new games every day, the best new podcasts every day, that kind of thing. What's the most upvoted thing ever? The most upvoted thing is it's something called Startup Stash, which is interesting. I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. Hilarious. So it's actually really simple. It's like, it's not a VC-backed company or anything. It's it's just a project that Bram, uh, who used to work with us, actually, he he built a site, a curation of different startup tools. And what's interesting about it is it's sort of like a collection and something that we've now expanded upon. Like it, it could be something that exists on product hunt since it's just a list of products ultimately. Mm-hmm. You're so optimistic about everything. <laughs> I love it. I feel like every time you see a product that you have at least some sort of optimistic or encouraging way to comment on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest and I'll, I'll give feedback and I'll critique things that I, I think I have an opinion on, but I also realize that I, may not be the customer for this thing if, if I don't think it's actually like interesting or useful. Maybe I'm just not the person for it. I'm also working with, with very little data. Like I don't, I don't know all the research and work they've put into this. But the most important thing is launching something is one of the most stressful slash exciting moments in, in every entrepreneur's uh, time is, you know, you're, you're sharing something that you've been working on for weeks, maybe months, some people even years. And now you're opening it up. You're being vulnerable for feedback. And the worst thing is if someone comes in and says, this is shit, or this is not cool, or like just doesn't even give you a chance to listen to what you're actually building. So for me, I I hope that people are genuine and empathetic. And a lot of people are on product hunt, thankfully. So we don't have a lot of trolls on there. If you could replace entrepreneur with any other word, what would it be? With any other word? If I just could replace it? Um, Yeah. It's a terrible word. Maybe maker. It's easier to say, easier to spell. Maker. Okay. What I do like about the word maker is that it's not super generic. It's super generic. It's not limited to like a founder. Like a founder is like, it has so much weight and everyone, unfortunately, I think too many people call themselves a founder. Like they'll launch a podcast or something and they'll be like, I'm the founder of design details or something. I hope you guys don't call yourself. No, I think for co-hosts. Yeah. yeah. Like co-hosts. I call myself the shorter half. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's, it's almost like puts this weight and this emphasis that, okay, now this is a company. And for me, I think it's okay for people just to build stuff for fun and makers. It's lighthearted. It's, it's everyone's a maker from engineer to a marketer to a designer and so on. Um, If you're building stuff, creating a podcast, even if you're writing a blog post, like you're a maker to an extent. And I like to encourage that. It's Uh, almost like you have business goals centered around it. (laughs) (laughs) We have (laughs) guys keep making stuff or or there'll be nothing on product (laughs) hunt. Um, We depend on you. Well, Thank you for coming on and telling us about Product Hunt, things you're working on. Uh, I think it's a fascinating time to be building things and Product Hunt's doing a great job of surfacing that. Thanks. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming. That was episode 66. It was a good one. Ryan is a very smart person. I like talking to him. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, come chat with us about it in our Slack team. There's almost... <laughs> you can Slack off with us. You can Slack off with us and over 1,300 designers and developers that are in the team. We're, we're talking about new tools that come out, new things happening on the Spec Network. Uh, every Friday, we do a open design critique so you can share your work and have it critiqued by some of our favorite designers. Last week, And we your had, favorite designers, bro. And your favorite designers. Last week, we had Linda Eliason on to chat about your work. Go to spec.fm slash slack to join or just hit us up on Twitter at designdetails.fm. We'd love to chat. Before we go, just want to thank our sponsors one last time. First up, Dropbox once again, keeping all of our files in sync and keeping everything in one place very simply, making it easier for other people to work together, which is a really hard thing to do and they're excelling at it. We use it in our day jobs. 
We use it for spec. We use it for our lives. It's pretty fantastic. It will make you a better designer. It'll make you a better designer in that everything is more efficient. So we couldn't appreciate them supporting the show more. Go check them out, dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox. Also, thank you so much to Icon Finder for sponsoring this episode. They are the largest source of premium icons on the web. Sign up for Icon Finder Pro. You're going to get access to over 630,000 icons in their library. Those are licensed for commercial projects. They work in any software you're using, whether that's Sketch, Photoshop, Illustrator. They come in all different file types. You can use them straight on the web. And 70% of whatever you pay goes straight back to the original designers. Icon Finder is awesome. Go to iconfinder.com, sign up for Icon Finder Pro, and use the promo code Design Details. That'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. 50%. Thanks so much once again to Icon Finder. We'll see you on Wednesday with Saleo Cuervo.